Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Big loud Dan there. Yeah. Morning, brother. So, um, we're in between books right now in our Sunday morning teachings. Uh, got a couple different options going ahead that we're praying through uh, for, uh, for the future. And um, we've got a special Sunday today, an outdoor service next week. And, um, and so we're just you know, not quite sure what the summer looks like totally. Uh, but we have a couple just directions that we feel the Lord is leading us. And, and today being a special Sunday where we recognize the new members of the church for the first time. Uh, This is the the recognition of those individuals. We kind of are calling this round one. This certainly isn't it or the end or, you know, nobody else matters or anything like that. This is just, we're just getting started, you know. We're just taking the training wheels off as as we start (laughs) rolling down the road, you know. And so a special Sunday. And so just praying over Lord in light of all of the current events that are happening in the world and in our country right now, and, and in light of the direction that you're leading our church, you know, what text, what scripture just reveals and is a word for us for this day and age, for such a time as this? And I was reminded of a year ago in January in 2014, super blessed to get to go over to Cannon Beach to the coast, uh, uh, to a Spurgeon Fellowship Conference. Uh, Art Azurdia from uh, Western Seminary puts that on. He's a Trinity Church in Portland pastor, uh, professor of biblical studies, and uh, just an incredible man with an incredible heart for pastors. And the guest speaker at this conference was like a father in the faith to me, Alistair Bag, Guy you hear on the radio, Scottish accent, you know, just an incredible preacher, teacher, and uh, actually got to spend time with him walking and talking and sharing a meal. And it was like meeting my dad, you know, it was like just meeting this guy. And I just got to share a wonderful time with him. But the conference uh, basically had Alistair going through the book of Second Timothy, four teachings through the four chapters and super relevant instruction for us. For that next year, not only as a local church and all that we'd, we'd be going through, but for us as a Christian people in, you know, in this nation and all that we're going to be seeing go on politically and culturally. And so, uh, you know, there is so much in my heart to share today. And I just pray the Holy Spirit will do the speaking. You know, normally I've got 25 pages of notes that are just like, boom, you know, wow, wow, wow. Maybe cover everything, you know, and just the Lord just wasn't letting me do that today so much. Um, I wanted to read through the whole book of Second Timothy with you guys so that you got all the context and all the letter and the beginning and the end and the greeting and the salutation. And, and I wanted you to have that and you know, just don't have that 20 minutes of reading through the book today. Um, but I, I felt the Lord I probably read through the book, I don't know, six, seven times, uh, twice since midnight today, uh, three times since midnight today, and just picked out some, some key passages that I think are for us. Calvary Chapel of Crook County, 2015, Prineville, Oregon, USA. All right? So 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 10. Now, Paul is writing to his son in the faith. He is writing to 
uh, a, a man who's probably 30, 33, 35 years old right now, someone who he's known since, since the, the man was about 12 years old or 15 years old, uh, someone that uh, has a family that's, that's connected to Paul, someone who got saved on one of Paul's missionary journeys and just right away was valuable to Paul and right away someone who joined Paul as a young man and was instructed and discipled by Paul and and they'd had you know probably 15 17 years of friendship and deep discipleship and student mentor uh, relationship father son relationship uh, someone that Paul would raise up to become a pastor um, and and this this book, of course, 2 Timothy, it's a pastoral epistle. Paul is writing to Timothy now as a pastor, uh, challenging him to stay strong and brave in the midst of a confusing time, in the midst of a confusing culture, in the midst of a confusing church culture. And um, so many parallels to us today in Prineville. This also would be Paul's final letter uh, in the New Testament, uh, it's the final, I always call it the final pulse of Paul. And, you know, if you were going to write your final letter to your son or daughter in the faith, what would you write? This is what Paul wrote. And you could kind of take that and say, well, how come he didn't, you know, do some great long discourse on the rapture or exactly how the gifts of the spirit are used or you know Calvinism versus Arminianism or you know like that should be really like you know and this is the main things are the plain things in this book you know he's this is what I'm leaving you and so that you know it's incredible it's incredible but just think of the final words from a father to a son 2 Timothy 1 7 through 10 for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then the first part of verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Timothy perhaps could be called Timothy. There seems to be something of a, of a just a, something, sometimes scared. Man, as a pastor, I know that. As, as someone who often, you know, pastors just, they battle that fear of man. And especially when you're in a culture that you're being persecuted, you could be killed for Jesus. He's encouraged by Paul. You got to be brave. You got to be bold. The spirit of God that's in you, it's not a fearful. It's not a timid spirit. It's powerful. It's full of love. It's full of a mind that is in control and is sound. And because of that, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Just as he would say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. 
That's not the spirit of God that's in you. That's the spirit of the wicked one that would try to to cause you to be afraid. And then verses 9 through 10, just an incredible outlaying of the gospel, the, the holy calling of the Lord upon us. It's not based upon our works, but upon his grace before even time began. It was in Jesus before time, and it's finally been revealed in Son, in Jesus Christ, who's brought us life and has brought us just power and light in the gospel. But he says, look how precious that gospel is. Don't be ashamed of it. It's because of the gospel that I've lost everything, Timothy. It's believed that Paul lost his wife because of the gospel. That he was married and that she left him because he's just become a Jesus freak and I can't handle this. And, and so he was, you know, his wife left him, it's believed, church history, some believe that. Suffered home, suffered his, the health of his flesh, eventually would be killed by the Roman sword, having his head lopped, up, lopped off. And he says, hey, I'm suffering. Don't you be afraid to suffer. Don't you be ashamed, verse 8, of the testimony of the Lord. And you know, in 2015, we can look back and we can list famous men who have been in the media, who've been on TBN, who've been on the TV, who've been on the radio, uh, who filled our TV screens, and not so famous men, the no-name guys that held doctorates and pastorates, men that 15 years ago We're powerfully advancing the gospel, but now are nowhere because of an ashamedness of the gospel. Ashamed of the gospel's view, perhaps of one way to heaven through Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. That's something that we face today in in the air control tower. Talking to the guys, you know, bring her on in. Yeah, Jesus is the only way. What? You know, planes are crashing. Yeah. You know, at Par Lumber as you're talking, you know, just all throughout. In Romania, building, you know, incredible stuff with the welder, you know, and government projects and witnessing. And, and Jesus. you think Jesus is the only way? Oh, that is so narrow-minded. That is so closed-minded. That's so bigoted. And, oh, you just are, oh, don't you know culture, man? Yeah, one way, and I remember Alistair Begg telling a story at the conference that he took a lawyer who was a friend of a lawyer that lived across the street, he took these guys to an evangelical crusade in downtown Cleveland, just an incredible time, gospels preached, on their way back, a lawyer, brilliant man, great mind, asks Alistair, is Gandhi in heaven? Is Gandhi in heaven? And Alistair said, He's in heaven if he repented of his sin, if he repented and laid aside his self-righteousness, and if he received in faith the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and Jesus' perfection. Then he's saved and he's in heaven. And as the lawyers were talking about how the outreach went, the one who had given that answer said, and that's where Alistair and I parted ways. That's where, that's where you are going to part ways with your co-workers. If you stand on the one way, it's Gandhi. What about Mother Teresa? Is Mother Teresa in heaven? If she repented of her sin, put her faith in Jesus Christ and rested in him and his perfection alone, she's in heaven. Princess Diana, same thing. 
your grandma, your grandpa who fought in the war, your uncle who was a preacher, the founders of the Presbyterian movement, whatever, you know, what about them? What about them? What about, what about the Buddhists? What about the Mormons? What about if they repented of their sin and bowed their knee and bowed their heart before the Lord Jesus Christ there in heaven? That is a dividing line in our culture. That is a dividing line in our world. That is a dividing line in this church. We live in a day and age where we're bringing six, seven, eight, ten foreign exchange students into this church every year. Brazil, Germany, Belgium. Help me out, Kevin. Caroline, where was she from? Denmark. Denmark, you know, all over the place. Korea, Thailand. And they're coming here and they're hearing the gospel and they're witnessing our gospel advance to the Hindus and to the Buddhists and they're mad. They're mad at us on Sundays and they're angry with their host homes. And this can't be right. That's, that's where we part ways. That's where, you know, hard, you know, no. And how easy for host homes just want peace in the family to just say, you know, just good people. Just good people go. Hopefully by the end of their life they've done more good than bad and that will also get them to heaven. No. If the Buddhists in the high up places of the Himalayas and the Hindus in the low places of the Himalayas bow their knee before the Lordship of Jesus Christ and receive the atoning sacrifice, they will go to heaven. One way, brothers. Are you ashamed of the gospel's view of one way for salvation? Are you ashamed of the Genesis 1 creation account? The timeline that's been laid out in Scripture are you ashamed to, to hold a six-day, seven-day creation view? Six days of creation, seventh day of arrest. Are you ashamed to say that he created the world and that we didn't start from a single explosion in the sky? Are you ashamed to say that in the beginning there was nothing and the Lord said, let there be light and the Lord God created something out of no thing, the Bible says. Are you ashamed of that? It's a view that we hold till the death at Calvary Chapel. Are you ashamed of the Jonah account? That Jonah was swallowed by a fish that the Lord had prepared for him. And that he was spit out in the direction on land that the Lord had called him to go preach. Fables, mythology, folklore, not true. Are you ashamed of that? Jesus wasn't ashamed of it when he referenced it as a historical fact and used that to apply to his own life of his death, burial, and resurrections three days later. Are you ashamed of God's definition of marriage? That he created marriage as man, one man, one woman for one life. Are you ashamed of that? We're not ashamed of that here at Calvary Chapel. We will die for that definition here. We will be tortured for that definition. That is what we are about here. And that marriage is not some sort of social experiment that we've been messing around with for the last 60 years, trying it out different ways. It is a divine design of the sovereign God. He has created it. He says who it's between, for how long it is, and that it is chiefly for his glory. That's what we hold to here. And I will die upholding that view. Biblical view. 
I remember Alistair saying, a loss of conviction of the true power of the gospel will silence you. Have you been silenced in this day and age? Have you been silent before your brothers, before your sisters, before your fellow countrymen? Have you been quiet about the Lord Jesus Christ because maybe you're second-guessing some of these truths of the Scripture? Don't compromise. You will lose power. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. And we'll see how many people will abandon Paul in this book. There's a list. There are names of people who've abandoned him because they were ashamed. Will a suffering Savior find those who are willing to suffer for him? 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 16. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. And faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy though to the household of Anisiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. I color coded this verse section that I just read. Because we see an emphasis, as we do all throughout the book, of the word of God is something we must hold fast to. You're going to see this many times today. It's green in my notes. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That's the Bible, friends. And then we see, not only do we hold fast to the Bible, but then we make disciples. These are sound words that you heard from me, Timothy. I was a leader in your life. I was a mentor and I taught you the word of God. And verse 14 says, I've committed these good things, not mythological things, not legends, not hodgepodge. You interpret them however you want to interpret them and I'll interpret them however I want to interpret them. It doesn't really matter and it's all. No, you hold fast. This is truth and I'm committing it to you. It is good. And you know what? You don't even have the strength to do it, Timothy. If you do it, it's going to be by the spirit of God who dwells in us. And you know what? As I'm writing this, I'm thinking of Phagellus and Homogenes. They've not done that. Don't list names. Don't talk about the people that have abandoned you. Don't write it down in chronicles of history for everyone to read for thousands of years. That's not what Paul did. Paul wrote it down. He noted them. In fact, he said, note those who would cause division among you. But then he also praises God. For the Anisiphoruses in his life, the ones who stood with him. And even when he was suffering for these truths that we're talking about today, Onesiphorus was not ashamed. Wasn't ashamed. Everyone's mocking you for doing this, Paul. Everyone's mocking you for preaching this, for standing for truth, for being in prison. Your weak, frail condition. Come on, dude, you're a joke. But there were those that stood with him. We see in this section the desertion of some, but we also see the devotion of others. As we move on, 2 Timothy 2. We're moving on to another chapter here. It's encouraging, isn't it? Verses 8 through 13. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. 
Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul preaches the gospel once again. The main things are the plain things. And here we have the gospel. And here we have election. It's in there. That God knew us and saw us across the hall before we saw him, and he loved us and pursued us. There's nothing wrong with that. Many of you husbands did that to your wives. Many of you wives did that to your husbands. Nothing to be afraid of. How could you? Hey, I'm glad that my wife pursued me. I preach truth from the pulpit today. 2 Timothy 3, moving right along. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. You guys, since the time of Jesus' ascension, we've been living in the last days. Peter says that in the day of Pentecost sermon. He says, we're in Joel chapter 2, you guys. We're living in the last days. And of course, there are last days to the last days. There's the day of the Lord. Okay, there's all of that eschatology. But he's telling Timothy, in a time of confusion... In their culture and in their religion and their church setting, how much more so when we're more in the last days of the last days? And he says, in those last days, it's going to be perilous. You guys see that coming at all? Peril us times. He says, men will be two things. First of all, they will be lovers of themselves. And secondly, they will be lovers of money. Now he's going to list a whole lot of other just totally sinful, just got an attitude, got a, just you're a jerk, you know, you're just sinning on all sorts of ways underneath the moon. But all of those things stem from you love yourself and you love your money. You guys, this is a word for us as Americans. It is bred into us that we are independent, self-made men and women who've been freed by the blood of our grandparents and our forefathers and praise God, I'm a patriot. But you know what? If anything takes us away from the kingdom of the Lord Jesus to build the kingdom of the Lord Rory Rogers, it is an idol. And in those end times, two things are going to happen. In America... Do you see it right now? I love myself. We teach it to our children. We pat them on the back. We let them act any way that they want to and do anything that they want to and just say, just love yourself. Just, you were born this way. Just do this, do that. You're just, oh, just love you, love you. Nothing, I'm never going to correct you. Just love you. You love you. We love you. It's all about you. Just build up your kingdom. I'm going to do that from the day you're born. And you know what? Love money. Love money. We're in America. You know, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of toys, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of luxury. You cannot read the New Testament and preach that as Christian theology. And when you have those two things, when you have a love affair with yourself and a love affair with your pocketbook, watch what flows. And it's been said that the first half comes from loving yourself and the second half comes from loving money. You'll be boastful. You'll be proud. You'll be blasphemer, disobedient to your parents, unthankful, 
unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. I just love myself so much. I'm just going to let myself just do whatever it wants. No self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Perhaps this is where we see the love of money coming in as well. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You guys, underline this. Write this down. Take a little note to remind you in case you didn't know. You guys know where I'm going with that. Thank you, George Strait. That in the end times, there will be men that have some sort of a form of godliness, some sort of a form of religiosity, religion, good person-ishness to them. They will have some sort of godliness, pack a Bible, dress up nice for church, have some sort of emblem on their car or on their house. Forms of godliness, no power to it, no life to it. These guys look religious, but they're spiritual shams. And it says, from such people turn away. Boy, is that just like all-inclusive, you know, does that just fly in the face of the coexist bumper sticker? Like, even within, like, Christianity, people that have godliness but no power, these, these people that have the love of self and the love of, you would, like, turn away from them? This is Paul's final letter. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In the end days, there will be people who have all the book knowledge in the world, all the Bible study knowledge in the world. In fact, that's just a word for America today. We can listen to any preacher, any teacher, anytime, radio, TV, interweb, phone, iPod, laptop, whatever it might be, learning, 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 even having a form of godliness, but no power to it, and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That does not happen in the church today. That does not happen in Calvary chapels. And yet Jesus would say in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, that you search the scriptures, you religious people, because in them you think you have eternal life. These scriptures are the things that testify of me. And you're not willing to come to me so that you can have life. We live in a day and we live in a culture where we get as much godly appearance and as much knowledge as we can, but we never allow and respond to the Holy Spirit in our life and let him transform our life and bring in absolute power from the throne of God. Verse 10 says, but you have carefully followed, this is chapter 2, verse 10, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, Purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. And this is where we see discipleship. It's colored orange in my notes. There's discipleship happening. Here's what we see happening within the religious group and within the pagan group and those that love themselves and love money. But you, my disciple, you have carefully followed me, your pastor, me, your leader, the doctrine that we've taught, 
the way that we've lived, the purpose that we have, or the vision statement, if you will, the faith that we're living out, the patience that we have for one another, the love that we have for God and for people, the perseverance and the persecution through afflictions that we've gone through. I believe this is a word for us today. Verse 12 says, And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer those persecutions. Time and time again in this final pulse of Paul, he tells us that if you are going to live not for yourself and not for money, but you're going to live for God and for others, you're going to be persecuted for it. You're going to go through afflictions. You are going to suffer. The word suffer, 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 suffer all throughout the book. The word affliction, affliction all throughout the book. The word persecution all throughout the book. Not something that we call the American dream, is it? Not something that we call the American church dream. In fact, right after that it says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived within the same context of men that have a form of godliness but there's no power behind it men who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth these men will become imposters they will grow worse and worse they will bring in deception whether that's paganistic moralistic deception or religion self-righteous religiosity deception they're both bad Read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Total pagan sinner, nastiness, all this. Self-righteous, just as nasty, going to the same hell. And they will creep in to the churches. It's going to get worse and worse in the end days. But then there's you, Timothy, my disciple. It's an orange in my notes. You must continue in the things that you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And the tense of the word whom is not plural. He's not talking about when mom and grandma discipled him, although that was a wonderful time in Timothy's life. Lois and Eunice, wonderful mother and grandmother. Oh, man, that we would have mothers and grandmothers like Lois and Eunice. I see some of them here today. You know, just wonderful. But it's in the singular tense. Paul is talking about himself as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a mentor, discipling Timothy, teaching Timothy, assuring him of these things from the word. You know me, you know from where you have learned them and whom you've learned them. I've lived it out before you. It's time to trust your leader, Timothy. And from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And here we go into a section through chapter 4, verse 5, that's in green. In my notes, I color-coded them. Why is it green? Because it again emphasizes the importance of the Word of God in these end times. From childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the word theopneustos, and it means it's been breathed out by God. Peter would say it in another way. He would say, holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit as he gave them utterance. So that's where the Bible came from. You may not know that. That's something we teach a lot at this church. In fact, it's online. I'll give you online a link to go learn where the Bible came from. But the bottom line is that the Holy Spirit breathed it out and moved holy men to write it down. 
used their own personalities, used their own backgrounds. That dual nature of the word. Men wrote it, the Lord breathed it out. It's the inspiration of the scriptures. And it says there that it is profitable for doctrine. That means true teaching. It's profitable for reproof and correction. That means we can take the Bible and we can rebuke each other with it and we can correct one another with it and we can instruct one another in righteousness. Do you remember last week, Psalm 23? You lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Isaiah would say, you lead me on highways of holiness. How? The word of God. The Bible. The leatherback book. The iPad app, the iPhone app. It's profitable that the man of God could be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Oh, you got to be joking me. You think that that is what makes a man complete? That old, ancient, outdated, bigoted book? Come on. Those guys were high on opium when they wrote it anyways. That's what you're going to hear when you start quoting the scripture and saying that it is your authority. And so Paul goes on in chapter 4, verse 1. Already in chapter 4, you guys, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. I always picture like a military commander going, charge! I charge you before God and the living and the dead. He's going to judge the living and the dead at his appearance in his kingdom. Timothy Preach the word of God. Don't be ashamed. Don't make excuses. Don't be a timid Timothy. Preach it. Herald it. Be ready when it's in season time and you're feeling like you got it down. And be ready in the out of season time. When you have a canker sore and a fever and no one's paying attention, you preach it anyway. You preach it when people are prodding you with spears and laying your arm down to be crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross outside of Odessa. Preach the word when it feels good and when it hurts. Be ready. And while you're doing it, convince men. Heard this week, I'm so sick of what Calvary Chapel is shoving down our throats. We're just told to convince I just want to convince you what God has for you with this book. Convince in love. Sometimes there's the rebuke. Sometimes there's the exhortation, which speaks, it speaks of a spurring on as a cowboy digs those spurs into the flanks of that horse. We need it, don't we? We need to be spurred on and exhorted with long-suffering, long-teaching, long-painful, drawn-out teaching. You've heard it over the year. I'm so sick of this church series. That's so encouraging sick of it and I'm just man, I'm just a Timothy here I'm just long suffering and there's times where we go through stuff for a long time because I need to get it and before I teach it to you I got to get it and then once I get it I get to give it to you verse 3 it's in red in my notes and you can only imagine why for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. I just want, just want to hear something new. I want to hear something that will make me, ooh, oh, goosebumps, goosebumps, oh, ooh. 
Tell me something that will please me. Tell me something that will make my flesh gratified. Tell me something that won't convict me. It won't make me feel bad. I won't have to change my life at all. In fact, I'll get to keep living for myself and for the love of money. I want to do things my way. I want my itch. Oh, scratch. Proverbs speaks of tasty truffles. Tell me the tasty truffles. Speaking of of gossip and just telling me what I want to hear. It goes down to the innermost man. You're not going to get that here. You're going to be mad at me. You're going to get up and leave. (laughs) You're really going to be mad at Kevin. (laughs) They will not endure the sound doctrine. They will want their own desires because they have itching ears. Do you know that this whole membership thing has brought that up and out in people? They will heap up for themselves teachers. Will that man tell me what I want to hear? I'm going to heap up men. I'm going to save in my podcast men that are just, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Just keep going. (laughs) And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Please, Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here right now that is saying That this will not happen to them or in their day. Lord God, by the Spirit, Lord, show them what's happening right now in this world and in these churches and in this country, Lord. And they will turn their ears away and be turned aside to fables. So you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of evangelism and fulfill your ministry. And closing out here, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 13. Timothy, Paul knew that he was going to die soon. He didn't know, but he was actually going to be released from the Roman prison after he stood before Nero and made Nero go crazy. And he was going to be able to go over to, to Europe and go to Spain and preach the gospel, and he would come back to Rome and be arrested. And that, that was the second trip to Rome when he would be killed. And so he's telling his son in the faith, come quickly. Listen to this, you guys. It's in red in my notes. For Demas has forsaken me. Timothy knew who Demas was. You think Paul just wrote that nonchalant? That would be, my, that'd be like me saying, Aaron. Aaron has forsaken me. You guys know Aaron. You guys love Aaron. We remember sweet times with Aaron. The psalmist writes in prophecy of Jesus, if it was my enemy, I could handle it, but it was my own familiar friend in whom I had fellowship in the sanctuary with. Speaking of Judas Iscariot, Demas has forsaken me. He's loved this present world. He's loved America in an unhealthy way. We love America, amen? It's the country that God's put us in in his sovereign plan. But he's loved the American dream. He's loved materialism. He's loved the individuality that we're called to so often. He's loved no accountability. I don't want any accountability. I don't submit to anybody. It's my American dream. Grandpappy died for that for me. He's departed. Titus. And I don't know if this is the same Titus we read of in First and Second Corinthians or if it's the different Titus that the book of Titus 
was written to, but Titus, the context here is, he forsook me. Titus. This is the, the Adam, Adam Barney's forsaken me. Adam Barney that I wrote a book of the Bible to, you know, just those close brothers. Painful, hurtful. And then in pink, in my notes, Luke is with me. Guess who else was in pink in my notes? Onesiphorus. Pink, because pink is love. <laughs> Onesiphorus is with me. Luke is with me. The author of the Gospel of Luke, the author of the book of Acts. He, he's with me. In fact, he's writing down the account right now. Mark, get him and bring him with you. Mark from Acts chapter 15, the cousin of Barnabas who forsook Paul and Paul never wanted to take him on a missionary trip again. So strong was the contention between Barnabas and Paul about that that they broke up as friends and went other ways. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, encouraged his disciple cousin, Mark, John Mark. And now we see at the end of Paul's life, John Mark is restored, he's useful for ministry. And Tychicus in pink, these are faithful brothers. People who come here faithfully. Members this week, new members from the first round. Non-members, people who have an intention of becoming members. People that have no intention of becoming members. People that don't even know what I'm talking about. You call this your home. Man, I drove to Portland this week. Then I drove down through Silverton, went to a wedding Drove down last night, got home at midnight, and I just, intimacy with Christ in the truck, crying out, praying out in tongues, singing to the Lord, playing 2 Timothy through my pod, or through the, the stereo system, reading 2 Timothy, no, I'm kidding, and just, oh man, just so desiring the Holy Spirit to just let the gospel be known today, that, that God has called you, he's seen you from across the hall, across the room, he pursued you, he died for you, he loves you, he's calling you to so much more than just yourself, that's lame. He's calling you for him and for each other. He's calling you to a mission to advance the kingdom, whoever you are. And as I was driving, I just said, Lord, you gotta give me a word. You gotta give me a word for these, these people. And I had like a hit in the stomach that the Lord wants you to know from me, and I know I represent Blaine and Aaron and Kevin, we love you. We love you. We love those that have, that have left us that are the, the Alexander the coppersmith. They're the ones that have left and didn't even hear us out. You know, they're the, they're the ones that just, let's be patient. Let's work through this together. We love you. Look, we're preaching Jesus. We're going to the world for Jesus. We will lay our lives down for truth. Come on, guys, just hear us out. We love them. We fast and pray regularly that we'll reconcile with them. We love you. You may never become a member of this church, but just keep coming. Keep walking with us. Keep being about what Jesus wants us to be about. We'll just love you. We'll love you. We'll get it. We'll get it. They're here. There's their form. <laughs> They're here. We'll love you. We love you. Jesus loves you. Loves you members. Loves you future members. Loves those that are struggling right now. Just don't get it. That's okay. I didn't get it. I didn't get it for a long time. 
and the Holy Spirit brought unity. You guys, we're living in a day where Paul is calling us to hold fast the Bible. He is calling us to stand up. Right now, we are living in a day and age where we're going to probably be forced to do gay marriages in this church. We'll lose our, our tax exemption status if we don't. I will preach the truth of the gospel as we go through the word of God, and I very well could be arrested and imprisoned and harmed along with you guys. Right now, there's, there's processes and the, there's bills and legislation going on that preaching any anti-homosexual rhetoric, and by anti, I just mean like, Jesus loves you, but you need to repent. I love you, but you need to repent. I'm no better than you. I will die for you. I love you. I'll mow your lawn. But that's wrong. And I could go to jail. I could, whatever. Soon. And we need something as a church that says, here's where, here's where we stand on this. Who's with us? Because we see the people who say, I'm Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel. And I'm just changing my profile picture to rainbow flag. Hashtag equality. Hashtag love wins. Hashtag don't be a bigot. Hashtag, here's a picture of a German shepherd attacking a black person in Birmingham, Alabama in the 60s. And it's the same thing as you saying, no, you were created to be a male. And you were created to be a female. And you were created to marry. And be a picture of the gospel. Hashtag, love does win. That's where we stand on that. In a, in a state where we're making Fox News headlines where Sweet Cakes by Melissa refused to make a wedding cake for a gay wedding, lesbian wedding. And you know what happened. Lost their business, fined thousands and thousands, $100,000, trying to find all the articles today about it. Look at these folks. This, these are Prineville people, okay? We are ignorant to think that's not coming here. How do we stand as a church? Not only that, judge slaps a gag order on them that they can't even talk about their beliefs. That's you. That's you guys. That's you photographers. In fact, that moves us on to the next one, the New Mexico wedding photographer. A case was supposed to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court knocked it down because of a New Mexico couple, Elaine and Jonathan Hugnin, whose company Elaine Photography refused to be the official photographer for the 2007 commitment ceremony of a lesbian couple, Vanessa and Misty. I'll take pictures of you separately. Take pictures of you as friends. I'm not going to go to your wedding and say, this is of the Lord. I'm so happy. I'm so excited because I'm grieving over your sin right now. This is not how God designed it. I'm going to love you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. You're precious. Jesus died for you. I'm not going to do it. Major fines, major issues, persecution. Don't have time to get into it. The Idaho wedding chapel called The Hitching Post. Same-sex marriage passed in 2014. And this business said that they will not marry gays or lesbians. And, and along with the former, the last gal, uh, this has been included on the same level as racism Okay, And as Kevin and I went to the Birmingham, Alabama a Civil Rights Museum, loved it, saw uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. stuff and the church where he preached and or taught or whatever you would call it. Oh, I saw the Greyhound bus, the ride across America. It's like all in like black char because it got 
exploded, you know, and just we're looking at each other like, I can't stand you, Kevin. Look what you did, you know, and back, you know, just like, we just feel horrible. We met women outside that had been there since their youth. They were, they were supposed to be in the church across the street that was blown up by the KKK. We're talking to them. We're like, we are just sorry. We love you. We want you to know we love you. You are, man, you are better than us. You know, we just love you. But as we went to the end of the hall and to the end of this museum, there's a special civil rights museum, whole hallway, gays, lesbians, transgenders, I don't know what I am, look at me now, you know, like whole hall, like I didn't even know there were all these options. <laughs> On the same level as racism, it's not the same level, okay, not the same level. Certain things we were created equal in, certain things there's distinction and differences, okay, all valuable, all valuable. Pastors who attend gay pride parades with signs that say, as a Christian, I am sorry for the narrow-minded, judgmental, deceptive, manipulative actions of those who denied rights and equality to so many in the name of God. Get my picture taken, put it on my blog. Now, we may show up to gay parades with signs that say, I'm sorry about something or other, but it won't be that. And we may have loving signs pleading with them to be reconciled to God because we love you. And there may be some very real struggles and temptations and confusions and challenges. And you're welcome to come to our church and we will work through that with you. But we will not call the Bible narrow-minded and bigoted. It's not going to do it. Calvary Chapel, we are not going to do that. This is what we're facing in our culture we're not ashamed of the virgin birth. As a book went around by well-known megachurch pastor Rob Bell, it was read in so many different churches. Friends of mine reading it with their, with their groups. And in it, it says, what if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry? An archaeologist find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing the gospel writers because they wanted to throw in an appearance to followers of Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin births. I affirm the historic Christian faith, which includes the virgin birth and the Trinity and the inspiration of the Bible and much more. But if the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one spring, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? So he would say that the, the multi, multi-referenced virgin birth that's prophesied of old, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. You want a sign, Isaiah says? I'll show you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a child. Doesn't happen, gonna happen. It's gonna be God in the flesh, God incarnate. The only one who can take away your sins because only he would be spotless. And this, this dude, I don't name drop all the time. I don't like to do that, but this is just popular stuff right now. He says, the Christian faith is a trampoline and the virgin birth is one spring. You can set it aside and we can all bounce just fine. And lo and behold, what's the next thing that happens? The next thing that happens is Gay marriage is okay. What's the next thing that happens in Ray Bell's, Rob Bell's theology? Universalism. Love wins. Nobody goes to hell. Everybody will go to heaven. Do you guys see the erosion of the authority of the word of God? 
And we're here. We're just saying, you guys, we see this in our culture, and all we're trying to do is just say, here's where we stand. Here's where we'll die. Do you agree with that? Check yes or no. Yes or no? It's not George Strait, is it? Are you serious? My Lakeview's coming back. Preach the word. I'm ashamed of the inspiration of the scriptures. I'm ashamed of the inerrancy that the word has no errors in it. Does, does that pastor really believe that? Guys, this is orthodox Christianity, that the Bible was breathed out by the spirit. And because it's from God, it has no errors in it. And you can take your Bible and you can compare it to original manuscripts just to make sure you've got a good one that wasn't tweaked. It's not that hard. Okay, we'll give you the list of those if you'd like that. And then we'll give you paraphrases that it's like, yeah, this just helps in our language to understand it. But to get like the, the base foundation root, make sure you're reading one that's not a paraphrase. Okay? So we're teaching you guys that at this church. The Westminster Confession, page 78, paragraph 3 says, We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. And the heavenliness of... The, the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other comparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority, thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. The Bible is the only book that was written over a 1500 year span. It was written by more than 40 different authors. It was written in different places, in the wilderness, in dungeons, in a palace, behind prison walls, while traveling, while on an island. It was written at different times in different moods, on three different continents, written in three different languages, written in a wide variety of literary styles. It addresses hundreds of controversial subjects and never contradicts itself. There's one unfolding story in all of that. The coming of God's Son to redeem sinful man, bringing glory to the Father. Every other book that's been written is nothing but conglomeration. This book is the God-breathed word, and it is proven true. The International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, Chicago, 1978, says, Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching, no less in what it states about God's acts and creation, about the events in world history, about its own literary origins under God, than its own witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. It is truly powerful. Truly powerful. The Moody Handbook of Theology says, Inerrancy means that when all the facts are known, the scripture in their original autographs and properly interpreted will be shown to be wholly true in everything they teach. Whether that teaching has to do with doctrine, history, science, geography, geology, or other disciplines or knowledge. 
If science seems to point to something else, we still believe the scriptures, knowing that when all is said and done, the scriptures will be found to be true. It's just waiting for the turn of an archaeologist's spade or the finding of something under the microscope or a ship to go into a certain part of the earth, and it will be found to be totally true. And we don't need to be ashamed. I just want to close with one of my favorite quotes. It's by a guy named Robert Dick Wilson, okay? I don't hear that name often. Wilson taught at Princeton as the head of Semitic languages. Listen to this. He could read and write 45 ancient Semitic languages. When he was 25, he could read the New Testament in nine languages. And he had the New Testament memorized in Hebrew. Okay? Wilson could quote Matthew 1 through Revelation every syllable without missing a beat and had many Old Testament books memorized as well. Listen to what he has to say about how reliable this book is. For 45 years continuously, I have devoted myself to one great study of the Old Testament. In all of its languages, in all of its archaeology, in all of its translations, the critics of the Bible who go to it in order to find fault claim themselves all knowledge, all virtue, all love of the truth. One of their favorite phrases is, all scholars agree. Well, when a man says that, I wish to know who the scholars are and on what they agree on. Where do they get their evidence? I defy any man to make an attack on the Old Testament on the ground of evidence that I cannot investigate. He goes on to say, After I learned the necessary languages, I set about the investigation of every single consonant in the Hebrew language. Sounds like something I do on a weekend. He investigated every single consonant. I don't even know what a consonant is. Of the Hebrew language, okay, of the Hebrew Old Testament, there are about 1,250,000 of them. It took me many years to achieve my task. I had to observe variations in the text, in the manuscripts, notes of the Masorites, various versions, parallel passages, and conjectural emendations of critics. Then I had to classify the results of every character, every consonant, to reduce the Old Testament criticism to an absolutely objective science, something which is based on evidence and not opinion. The result of those 45 years of study which I've given to the text has been this. I can affirm that there is not a page of the Old Testament concerning which you need have any doubt. What is this that we have, you guys? What is this that we have? He went on to say, I have come to the conviction that no man knows enough to attack the veracity of the Old Testament. Every time when anyone has been able to get together enough documentary proofs to undertake an investigation, the biblical facts in the original text have victoriously met the test. And one last thing. A man named Oswald T. Alice was describing this Robert Dick Wilson's uh, approach to the study of the Bible. And he says, build solidly. As you're studying the Bible, prepare thoroughly. Never be satisfied with superficial answers. God's word can stand the most thorough investigation. Do not shirk the difficult problems, but seek to bring the facts to light. 
For God's word and God's world will never contradict one another. We live in the days of mockery of the Bible, of social experiments of marriage, of claiming that the Bible is nothing but myths. We live in the days where famous men right now, names that you would probably know, are teaching what we would call here cheap grace and easy believism. That all you have to do is like raise your hand at a conference or something and then you can do whatever you want for the rest of your life. Even if it's full-blown immorality, debauchery, paganism, worshiping of other gods, it doesn't matter because you lifted your hand up at a conference or went forward or said a prayer the way that a pastor told you to do that. It's not the New Testament. That's an incomplete gospel and it's just as dangerous as someone over here would say you've got to work your way to heaven. It's the world we live in, you guys. It's something that we endeavor to do as shepherds here is just do things well, just the best we can, as often as we can. And we've been overwhelmed with conviction from the chief shepherd that sheep need shepherding, including us. And the Lord has led us after two years to this glorious Sunday as we live in the days of the Said Abedinis from Calvary Chapel, Boise, that are spending eight years being tortured and beat up in prison, friends of ours. As we live in the days in Nepal where we're going to preach the gospel, where people that we know have had moms and dads slaughtered by Buddhist monks because they've received the gospel, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. I don't know if you want to go with us, that's where we're going. That's where you're sending us. Maybe you don't go. You're going to fund us. You're going to pray for us. That's where we're going. We want to know that the people over there, as we're in the trenches, being killed, slaughtered, abused, that they got our back. And you need to know that the people over there that you're supporting and praying for will stand with character and integrity upon the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. It's the book for me. We will stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And so today is the first exciting day of many. As long as the Lord would just continue us in this way, we're going to get the, get the children. And maybe a few people could go that are kind of involved in children's ministry. Uh, go with them and help bring the babies out. Just going to bring the babies out. We're going to bring the kids out right now. This is all of a sudden family service. And we're going to just move to uh, just the wonderful recognition, just the celebration of uh, those that have said, you know what? We believe the doctrine that this church is preaching. We believe it's biblical. We believe it's Christian. You showed us from the Bible why we should believe these things. And so we agree with you on that. Um, we understand that you guys as pastors have responsibilities for us as sheep. And, and so we're expecting you guys as pastors to Fulfill those duties and obligations that God has called you to. And so we, we, we'll receive that from you guys. And we understand that we are called, not only us, but the pastors, we're all called to certain ecclesiological principles that we're to live out because of what Jesus has done for us. And we just want you to know we're in. We just want you to know we're in. And so for those of you that... Uh, that's you. We're going to have you go ahead and come forward. This is the first round. 
I'm just going to name some names here, and you guys can come on up and just stand up here. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I think, I don't see Mark and Casey here today. Maybe they're back serving in the children's ministry. But we're going to have them come up. They may be at a family reunion. And so uh, we'll probably recognize the next time anyone that's gone. Have the free-offs come up. And why don't you guys come on up with all your children, all seven children. Come on up. So exciting. Dan's on fire call today at the house. And I was like, get over here at 11 o'clock if you can. Come on over here. Come on up, boys. Free-off family. The Jensens, Blaine and Linda, why don't you guys come up? Lindsay Rogers, why don't you come up here? And uh, Russell and Lainey, you can come up here by me. Son. Kevin and Erica, come on up with your children. Susan Baker, come on up. Greens, why don't you come on up with your kids? Tim, come on up, buddy. Rusty, come on up. Woody family, why don't you guys come on up? Barb, come on up. Easy, Doc, Marcy, Ken and Carrie Box, come on up with Riley. Have the Mape family come on up. They're getting all the kids. We're going to have uh, Christy Allen come on up with her kids. The Olker clan come on up. Paul, the Lukers, the Reeds with their whole family. And the Curvins, come on up. So this is, this is a very exciting time. This is where we believe the Lord has been leading us these many years. And uh, just the elders were so thrilled today. Just an Excel spreadsheet shows that uh, families and children, I think we're stepping on uh, cords maybe right there. It's not a big deal, but just hop on it. Just total, this is, this is round one. There were many more people that attended the class and uh, just weren't able to get the form completed and meet with elders. And it's just round one, okay? Nobody that's sitting out there is less than better or as cool or anything like that. These are just, this is who was able to do it right now. And total with children in this first round of church membership, we have 77 people who are saying, Calvary Chapel is my home church. The pastors of this church are my pastors and I expect you pastors to teach me the word of God in truth, to tend to my needs, to lay down your life for me as a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That if I'm wandering, if I am in, in sin, I want you to know right now things are good. I'm not having an affair right now. I'm not leaving my family right now. You know, I, I'm not thinking of, of doing anything crazy. Uh, things are good. And so I'm asking you while things are good, if things go bad, come get me, because I'm not going to want you to come get me then. <laughs> when I'm with that woman or when I'm doing this or that, I'm not going to want you. I'm going to tell you to get away from me. I never knew you. I'm going to spit in your face. I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm not going to answer the door. When things are good, here we are together, and we're saying, you come get me. You pursue me. You hold me accountable. Adam Barney, I forgot to say your name. Come up here, buddy. Wasn't on the list. <laughs> They also say, you know what, I realize that God is calling me as a member of this church to use the spiritual gifts that God has given me, to be generous with finances, uh, to, to be a part of discipleship, and to be a part of the regular gatherings of this church. 
And as part of discipleship, discipline is a part of that. And so I expect you to discipline me. And I'm also going to be a part of disciplining others who have stood here with me. Can we go ahead and we're not better than anybody here. Just have the elders come up. Come on up here with your families because in this covenant, you know, the elders are saying that we're covenanting something special to all of you. We're covenanting to you that we're going to lay our lives down for you, that we won't waver on the truths of this document that are Orthodox Christianity, and that we'll love you, we'll pursue you, we will serve you. We also recognize that we're men and women, aren't we? We mess up, we fail. Man, we're going to pick you up and pick each other up, and we're just going to keep going. We recognize that we can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? We're going to pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would empower us to be this for one another. We're going to ask you guys to pray this for us and pray this over us and to be part of encouragement and support in this church. So if you guys would, would you stand with us and maybe just reach out your hand if you'd like to just pray over us and and maybe you're just next to people. Let's lay hands on each other. We've got families here. Where's my wife? Come over here. Let's pray together. Lord God, it's such an exciting day, Lord. It's a celebration. We're having cookies and punch, Lord. Why? Because we are your church, Lord. And we say we want to be a part of this local body. We want to buy into your plan of ecclesiology, Lord, how you've created the church to be. And Lord, we know there's others here in this room that they, they do too, and they're in the process, or they're trying to figure it out, or, or they're just not there, and, and maybe won't be, but, but man, they love us, and they just want what you want for us, God. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for dying for us. Thank you for buying us with your blood. We are your church. Lord, you say that you will build the church. You say that you walk in the midst of the church. You say that if we will compromise and will deny you, Lord, that you'll remove our lampstand, God. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would fill us afresh today with the Spirit of God so that we would stand firm in the things that Paul told Timothy, stand firm and continue in the things that you've heard and learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Lord, we want to be those that are Timothys. We want to be those that are Um, Aquilas and Priscilla's. We want to be the Luke's and the John Mark's, Lord. Those that stood with Paul and remained in the trenches and stood firm even though there was suffering and persecution. And so, Lord, would you just empower us to do that? We recognize our flaws, our failures, that we're not up to the task. And so we look to Jesus today.